Welcome inside the studio. You are listening to the latest edition of the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for being with me. we got a lot to get to over the course of the next hour. we got a little bit of football, some Big Ten football here in the early going. we got a lot of baseball sandwich in the middle of the show, and we're going to go full circle back to college football. Kyle Nystrom, head football coach at Northern Michigan University, is going to stop by in studio. He is going to hit us up live over the course of the next hour. All that more is coming up. Hope to have you along for the ride. But I tell you what, I want to start with football. And I was talking with a friend last night, just happens to be a Michigan fan. And I'm saying, how frustrating is Jim Harbaugh? How much stress does Coach Khakis cause you? He's a good coach. There's no doubt about that. The guy can coach. He's made it to a Super Bowl. Michigan's consistently been good under him. But he has two glaring flaws. One being he's a good, maybe even great coach, but he's not ready to join that elite threshold. Yeah, he got to a Super Bowl, but he didn't win it. Yeah, Michigan wins 10 games every year, but he still can't beat Ohio State. He's just not at that elite tier. And this is a huge year for him that could determine whether he'll ever get to that tier while at Michigan. And two being that he's not afraid to stir the pot when sometimes it's not necessary. And that's exactly what Coach Jim for UM has been doing here over the course of last week or so. It started last week on Thursday when he seemed to make veiled comments at Urban Meyer. Some were saying, why do that? What good could possibly come from it? Does it look any, does it make you look any better? It looks petty, what have you. Here's the thing, public perception and the intent behind what was said are two entirely different things. And people don't always understand that. I agree that on the outside, on the surface, it looked petty. It wasn't a good look for Harbaugh to take shots at Urban Meyer, a guy that he wasn't able to beat and probably will never get the chance to beat. But I tell you what, I'm willing to give Coach Jim the benefit of the doubt. His quotes were something to the point that Urban has won everywhere he's gone, but he's also left a scandalous past everywhere he's gone. He's left the program better in terms of wins and championships, but not in reputation. I see that as Harbaugh saying, yeah, I couldn't beat Urban, but we do things the right way at Michigan. We don't have a shady, shadowy program like Urban had at Ohio State, like Urban had at Florida. We do things the right way. I think he fears for his job just a little bit. I think his seat is starting to get a little hot and he can feel it. And he's politely letting the Michigan administration know, yeah, I haven't taken Michigan to that elite tier. I brought him up. We're in a better spot than after Brady Hoke. But even though I haven't gotten to the same tier as Urban as a coach, I haven't let my program become what he has at Ohio State. I could give Coach Jim the benefit of the doubt with that. At the same point, that might have been the intent behind what he said, but that's not what public perception says. And being found guilty in the court of public opinion can be just as damaging as saying something derogatory. Sometimes it doesn't matter if you meant for something to be derogatory. If people perceive it that way, and that's the way people perceive you, then you've got a problem. That's what happened with Coach Jim last week. I don't know that he was taking veiled shots at Urban Meyer as much as he was trying to say, we do things right here at Michigan. Would you rather me sell my soul like Urban Meyer so that we can win, so that we can be an elite football program? I think that's what Coach Jim was trying to get across more than taking shots at Urban Meyer last week. And I think this all could have blown over, all could have been forgotten. But then Coach Jim had to put himself right back in the spotlight this weekend. He had some comments on mental health issues. And it stemmed from a conversation about transfer rules. Jim said, everyone should be allowed one freebie. 
All players should be allowed one transfer where they don't have to sit out a season. Then it's up to the NCAA when they grant you a waiver when you can transfer. Yes, it would cause craziness. It'd be essentially college free agency, but that's all well and good. People didn't have a problem with that. That's not controversial. Then he went on a tangent about some reasons that somebody might want to transfer, and that's where he talked about mental health. Harbaugh said that the reason, or at least one reason, players may seek a transfer is because they're dealing with depression. They're dealing with mental health issues. They want to go somewhere else, change their environment, or move closer to home. He said that could be a detractor, that someone could just say, I'm depressed, and the NCAA will allow them to leave the program. That's where Jim crossed the line for a lot of people. You know what? I'm not condemning Harbaugh, but I want you to explore this train of thought for just a moment. I'm not saying this is what Harbaugh said, but agree with me that this is the way a lot of people are going to perceive that. That if you go to play for Jim Harbaugh in the University of Michigan, he's not going to be a coach where you can come into his office and say, Coach, I'm hurting. Coach, I'm dealing with something. Instead, he's going to be a coach that makes you prove Are you really hurting? Is this all just in your head? You need to toughen up. You need to be more of a man. You need to prove to me that you have a clinical illness. Again, I'm not saying that's what Harbaugh said, but that is the way people are perceiving it, and that is going to hurt Michigan in the long run, especially with recruiting. As a parent, are you going to want to send your kid off to college in a place where the coach is going to make you prove, make you jump through hoops and check off boxes to prove that you have a mental illness? I tell you what, mental illness is not that easy to identify. And I'm sure I have listeners right now who've struggled with it in the past. Especially at that age, man, college is tough. Going to college is tough. There's a lot of emotion at that time. I tell you what, I went to college in the town I grew up in, and it was tougher for me moving to my dorm 10 minutes away from home than it was moving up here 10 hours from home. This move was a lot easier for me. College is tough. It's a whole different change in environment. What's more, you take athletes, the stress they're under, the grades they got to make, the expectations that are put on them, they got to feel like they're not letting people down. They got to feel like they got to make their family proud. There's pressure on college athletes. There's pressure on college students. I don't know if Harbaugh was insinuating that I'm going to be a guy that you're going to have to check off boxes to prove to me you have a mental illness. But that's the way it looks, that's the way it sounds, and that's the way the public perceives him. And it's not a good look for him. So it brings me back to the conversation I was having with a friend last night. How frustrating is Jim Harbaugh? Okay, He's a good coach, and he's got a really good team at Michigan this year. Michigan should win the Big Ten. They should beat Ohio State, they should beat Michigan State, they should beat Notre Dame, and they probably should be a college football playoff team. I think they have a realistic shot at making the college football playoff this year. But Harbaugh has got to quit taking the spotlight away from his team and putting it on himself with a negative light around it. Last week on the show, I gave you the Big Ten preseason media poll. 17 of the 34 media members predicted Michigan to win the Big Ten this year. 50% of the media say that Michigan will win the Big Ten this year. Our colleagues here at ESPN came out with their preseason poll. Guess who got 48% of the vote? Michigan. Michigan predicted to win the Big Ten according to ESPN. ESPN gave Michigan 48% of the vote. The Big Ten media gave them 50. 48 and 50%. Michigan is the odds-on favorite to win the Big Ten this year. You know who got second place in the ESPN preseason poll? Penn State. You know what percent they got? 10. Michigan 48%. 
Second place, Penn State, 10. It should be no contest. In fact, if you took the next four teams behind Michigan, the teams that are predicted to finish second through fifth in the Big Ten preseason poll according to ESPN, and you combined all their percentages together, Michigan would still have a better chance to win the Big Ten according to ESPN than Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Iowa combined. I think Harbaugh meant well. I'm not saying that I agree with everything he said lately, but I am saying no matter the intent behind what he said, it's not a good look for Michigan. Public perception is not any better of Harbaugh right now than it was at this time last week. You have got a team that should win the Big Ten this year, frankly needs to win the Big Ten this year for your legacy, maybe for your job. you got a good team this year, coach. Focus on that. Quit taking the spotlight away from them. In a way, he kind of reminds you of Sean Payton, does he not? Sean Payton, a guy that can come off on the surface unlikable. A fiery competitor, really good coach, but he does some stuff that he probably doesn't need to. Remember a few years ago, just before the Minneapolis Miracle, Sean Payton was doing the skull chant to the Viking crowd, mocking them right after the Saints took the lead? Yeah, I don't think he's a bad guy, but he does some stuff he probably doesn't need to, probably shouldn't, same way with Jim Harbaugh. Tell you what, transitioning from that, I want to go to the NFL just briefly before we hit the break. Training camp has officially started. The Broncos reported yesterday, as did the Cardinals and the Falcons. And we're officially nine days away until you can officially bet on the NFL preseason. Is that a brag if you bet on the NFL preseason? I'm sure there are people who do it. And if you do it, if you're one of my listeners, I'm going to give you the inside track. I'm going to tell you who to bet on. Again, I'm not encouraging gambling. If you have a problem, 1-800-BETS-OFF, I think is the number. But if you do gamble, might as well win. And let me share some information with you. I have got the top five coaches who have gone against the spread in the NFL preseason since the year 2003. So if you're betting here in this NFL preseason, these are the coaches' teams you need to go after. Number five on the list with a 4-0 record against the spread in NFL preseason games since 2003, Frank Reich. Number four, with a record of 14-18-2, John Gruden. Number three, with a record of 14-7, Mike Zimmer. Number two on the list, with a record of 23-12-1, Pete Carroll. And the most profitable, active preseason coach since 2003 against the spread, with a record of 29-15-1, John Harbaugh. The other coach, Khaki. So if you're betting on NFL preseason games this year, again, you can do so officially in nine days. You want to bet on the Ravens, the Seahawks, the Vikings, the Colts, and the Raiders. Hey, last thing before we go to break. This came out yesterday. An update from Forbes, the world's most valuable sports teams. Let's go through the top ten. And we started with a tie for tenth. $3.3 billion. The New York Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Coming in ninth were $3.5 billion, the Golden State Warriors. Eighth valued at $3.7 billion, the LA Lakers. Seventh valued at $3.8 billion, the New England Patriots. Sixth at $3.81 billion, Manchester United. Top five, fifth on the list, $4 billion, the New York Knicks. 
Number four, $4.02 billion, Barcelona. Third, $4.24 billion, Real Madrid. Number two, worth $4.6 billion, the New York Yankees. And the world's most valuable sports franchise per Forbes as of yesterday, worth $5 billion, the Dallas Cowboys. Team that hasn't been to the Super Bowl in 23 years, worth more than any other in the world. How about it? Let's take our first time out. When we come back, I've got a list for you. We love lists. We love rankings here in the sports pen. We're looking ahead to free agency next season in Major League Baseball. Starting to get crazy with the trade deadline approaching. Let's fast forward to next year. Who could be on the move next on ESPN-UP? Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. Well, I tell you what, we've got free agency right now in Major League Baseball. we got the trade deadline next week, and things are really going to get crazy as we love it when they do. But we're going to fast forward, and we're going to look ahead to 2020. We're going to move those clocks ahead. We're going to be like daylight savings. And I am going to give you my top 10 free agents of 2020, guys who could be on the move. They will be in new uniforms by the end of next season or by the start of 2021. Here is my list. I'm going to give you my top 10 free agents of 2020. In no particular order, let's start with Dallas Keuchel. Dallas Keuchel, 32 years old. His market value is projected to go up $1 million. That's not a lot in terms of Major League Baseball. The Braves are below league average as far as payroll goes. So then you take into consideration Keuchel's age. He's going to want a long-term deal. Do you want to sign a guy in his mid-30s when his market value is going to continue to go up? Yeah, he's a good pitcher, but for one thing, you don't have the money to be spending on long-term contracts on guys who maybe are going to be effective for the next year or two. That's why I believe Keiko's going to go somewhere else. Somebody will pay him for his services. He's a great pitcher. He's one of the best in the game right now. But it's not going to be Atlanta Braves. Dallas Keiko will be out of Atlanta within the next year or two. Another National League guy on my list, top 10 free agents of 2020, Anthony Rendon, 30-year-old third baseman for the Washington Nationals. His value is going to more than double. Right now, he's on a $12 million contract that'll expire next season. Right now, the market value for Rendon, according to AAV, is $30 million. So if AAV is correct, then Rendon is on pace to make $18 million more a year than what he's getting now from Washington. And again, he's a free agent next year. Washington really doesn't have a payroll issue. They're sixth in total payroll in Major League Baseball this year, and they would be a playoff team if the season ended today. They'd get in as a wildcard team. But the expectation there has been championships for a long time. They used to be the kings of the NL East. They were the perennial power. Now they've been knocked off that throne. They're still a few pieces away from competing. Why center that around Rendon, whose contract is going to continue to get bigger and bigger as he gets older and older? Why center your title odds around Rendon when you've got Juan Soto coming up? Washington's got a good young core. Compliment them. Give them a supporting cast. See what you can get for Rendon. Trade him before his contract ends. You don't have to do it this year, but next year? If Washington wants to make the jump from above-average wildcard team to a World Series contender... 
They can get some good young pieces back for Rendon, and they don't have to pay that contract. I see Rendon out of Washington within the next year or two. Third on my list, again, no particular order, top MLB free agents in 2020, Alex Wood, 29-year-old pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati still needs quite a few pieces, and Wood's contract is expected to grow by $10 million according to the market value. Again, he's not 30 yet, and starting pitching in this league, that comes at a premium. It wouldn't be so much as taking a step back for Cincinnati. Wood's been a good pitcher this year, but he's not irreplaceable, and the guys that you would get back in exchange for him, that's invaluable. Cincinnati's got to make that move. They can't continue to pay Wood and let his contract grow bigger as he gets past 30 years old only to remain in the cellar in the NL Central. They've gone the route of being the cellar dweller in the Central, but doing nothing as far as major rebuild. This would be a good step in that direction because they're not going to get out of the cellar without a major rebuild. Another guy I have on my list of top free agents in 2020, and this guy might be traded by next week. Freddie Galvis, 30-year-old shortstop for the Toronto Blue Jays. He's had a good season. Right now he commands $5 million, but the market value for him is expected to surpass $10 million. The Blue Jays aren't a contending team this year, but unlike the Reds, they are going the route of investing in young talent. Kevin Biggio, Vlad Guerrero Jr., they've got a good young group there. I tell you what, I think that's the right move. Toronto's already shopping Marcus Stroman, seeing what they can get back for him. They'd be wise to do the same thing with Freddie Galvis. Invest in a young core, get some major league ready guys on your roster, give them some major league at-bats, go to the youth movement to build your ball club back to a contender. Another one I have here on my list, the veteran Adam Jones. 34 years old, he's having a good year for Arizona. He's a guy that's probably going to be a journeyman for the rest of his career. Got out of his contract in Baltimore. The market value for Adam Jones once he hits free agency, despite being in his mid-30s, is expected to multiply by five times. Couple that with the fact the Diamondbacks are 17th in total payroll in Major League Baseball, well below the league average. And they are not going to pay Adam Jones to stick around for a ball club that's going to hover around 500. They would be wise to shop him before the end of the season, maybe even before the end of this season. That way somebody has a little bit of control over him next year before having to pay five times more than what Arizona had to. Arizona's not contending this year. Shopping Adam Jones by next week probably would be the smartest thing for them to do. We are halfway through our list. Again, no particular order. The top MLB free agents of 2020. I've got Jose Iglesias on my list. Former Detroit Tiger. 30-year-old shortstop, a defensive master. Right now, he's getting just $2 million from Cincinnati. But his market value projected to go up to $8 million a year once he hits free agency. Again, his market value only expected to get to $8 million a year next year. That's not awful. Cincinnati probably doesn't have to move him before the end of this season because control won't be an issue because of that. But it's very unlikely to me that Jose Iglesias will be a Cincinnati Red by 2021. Elsewhere on my list, I've got Brian Dozier, 33-year-old second baseman for the Washington Nationals. His first year there after spending half of last season with the L.A. Dodgers. $9 million contract, that will expire next season. His market value has him projected to make $11 million when he signs a new contract in his mid-30s. And Dozier's got a streaky bat, but when it's on, it's really on. Good defensive player, good base runner. He's not a guy you're going to break the bank for. Washington could probably afford to re-sign him if they really feel like they have a good young core around him. They can do that with the payroll situation. 
But could someone still use the services of Brian Dozier? Absolutely they could. And you got to think there would be a good piece coming back for you. Maybe a few good pieces. That being said, if I'm not getting an offer I absolutely love, I'm hanging on to Brian Dozier just because I know I can't afford him and he's still going to produce into his mid-30s. How about this one as Drupal Cabrera 34 years old, kind of reinvented his career this year with the Texas Rangers, moving over to third base, a position he'd only played about 12 times early on in his career. But now he's made the move over there replacing Adrian Beltre. He's commanding $3 million a year from Texas right now. That's going to grow to 10 per the market value by the time he hits free agency next year. Now Texas has a few decisions to make because their payroll situation isn't good. I don't know who's going to trade what for Cabrera because, yeah, he's reinvented his career at third base, but there's still much better natural third baseman around Major League Baseball, so I don't know what you get back via trade. In the end, they're probably just not going to re-sign him. He's going to be well into his mid-30s. His contract is going to more than triple, but he's still a big league bat, and he's still a capable third baseman. There's a lot to like about Cabrera still, but I'm not going to pay him $10 million for the Texas Rangers. For one thing, I don't think they can. I don't think their payroll is going to be in a good enough situation for that even to be a possibility. For another, you don't want to invest in a long-term contract with a 35-year-old infielder. Continuing down my list, top free agents in the year 2020, Nick Markakis, another veteran, 36 years old, playing with Atlanta, $6 million right now. Market value projects him to make $14 million by the time his next contract is signed. Do you want to sign a 37-year-old who can only play right field for $14 million? There are some teams out there that might, just because of his bat. I think Marcakis will move to the American League. Again, like Cabrera, I don't know that there's a whole lot of trade value for him. But Atlanta, again, does not have a good payroll situation. They've already got Keuchel they're trying to make work on the books. Marcakis, with his limited defensive ability, just isn't going to be a priority. And finally, on my list of top 10 free agents in the year 2020, Marcelo Zuna. 29-year-old outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. He makes $12 million a year. That is expected to grow to 20. Now, the Cardinals are still a contending team. They're hanging around the middle of the road. And losing Ozuna would be a step back. But his trade value may make it worth it for the Cardinals to pull this off. Sure, you'd be taking a step back, but think what you could get back for him. That's why I believe there is a good chance. I'm not going to bank on it, but there's a pretty good chance that Ozuna could be on the move by the end of next season. Those are my top 10 free agents, at least realistic free agents, to be on the move in 2020. Dallas Keuchel, Anthony Rendon, Alex Wood, Freddie Galvis, Adam Jones, Jose Iglesias, Brian Dozier, Drupal Cabrera, Nick Markakis, and Marcel Ozuna. A couple of honorable mentions who are going to be up for grabs next year. Garrett Cole, a projected Cy Young candidate this year, the market says his contract should grow from $14 million, what he's making now with Houston, to $23 million. The thing is, I didn't put him on my list because I don't think he's going anywhere. He's too valuable to Houston. They're in a good place financially. They've got the eighth best payroll in baseball. And Houston doesn't have a lot of guys that are up for free agency next year. Nobody that takes priority over Garrett Cole. He's going to be re-signed by Houston. They have the money to do it, and he means too much for them. That's why I didn't put him on my list of guys who could potentially be on the move for 2020 free agency. A couple other guys. Will Smith, he'll be a free agent next year. But let's be honest, he'll be gone next week. He'll be out of San Francisco by this time next week when the trade deadline officially closes. The Giants are playing 500 baseball, although they've been really good as of late. They're still not contenders. 
it would be who of them to shop Smith while they can still promise a year of control to somebody. See what you can get back because their minor league system is going to get replenished big time. Last honorable mention guy, Cameron Mabin. 33 years old. Right now, he's getting less than a million dollars. $555,000 from the New York Yankees as a utility outfielder. The Yankees brought him in just because they needed bodies in the outfield. Despite being in his mid-30s, he'll be dirt cheap. And the Yankees, we all know, have the money that they could resign him if they want to. I just don't think they're going to. They'll stick with Brett Gardner, even though he's been disappointing this year. They've got Aaron Judge. They've got Giancarlo Stanton. They've got Aaron Hicks. Michael Talkman's had some innings in the outfield. There's just not a place for Maven. And he knows that. He also knows there would be a market for him elsewhere. He's going to want to play out the last few years he has left somewhere else. Those are my top free agents, at least the ones who are realistically going to be on the move in 2020. Hey, tell you what, let's take our next time out. When we come back, I've got some MLB hot takes. Sticking with baseball, I want to run these by and see what you think next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. Kyle Nystrom, Northern Michigan head football coach, will join me in a little over 15 minutes. But first, your Sports Center update. Mark Sanchez has officially announced his retirement from professional football. He will join ESPN's college football coverage on ABC as a studio host alongside Kevin Agandhi and Jonathan Vilma. The San Antonio Spurs have hired Tim Duncan as an assistant coach on Greg Popovich's staff. I like that. And finally, relief pitcher Lee Smith was inducted in the MLB Hall of Fame on Sunday. Smith was famous for a slow walk from the bullpen to the pitcher's mound. It is reported that he did so because, keep in mind, Smith played for the Chicago Cubs until 1987. Wrigley Field did not get lights until 1988, thus there were no night games. So Smith would enter the game walking as slow as he could from the bullpen station beyond the outfield wall to the pitcher's mound, reportedly because he was friends with the groundskeepers and the grounds crew would get paid double if they had to stay past 4.30 in the afternoon. So Lee Smith would try to slow things down between pitching changes. He would try to slow things down so that the game would go longer than 4.30. That way the grounds crew would stay a little bit longer and they would get paid extra. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. We kick into the back end of this hour here on the Sports Pen. I tell you what, I've got some MLB hot takes. I want to throw these out there to you guys and get you guys to chew on them. I'm going solo here until Kyle Nystrom gets here in a couple of minutes. I want to get those brain juices moving. So I tell you what, here we go. A few MLB hot takes. I'll give you my thoughts on it. Think to yourself, what have you, or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter. Give us your opinion on it as well. Number one, by the start of next season, at least 15 major league ballparks will have protective netting going from foul pole to foul pole. The Chicago White Sox debuted it last night. The Washington Nationals were supposed to do it as well. They got rained out, so they will this evening. I'm saying yes. I'm going to go with this. I'm going to book this hot take. I hope it happens. I hope it's more than half. Guys, I don't understand why there's so much resistance to this topic. Two people have been sent to the hospital in the last 12 days, both of them little kids. 
Doesn't matter if you tell them, just pay more attention. It's on the fan to be attentive of what's going on in the game. I tell you what, there are some players who cannot field 100 plus mile an hour line drives hit at them. You think a three-year-old girl like the one that was hit on Sunday is going to be able to? Is having the possibility of catching a foul ball more important than a human life? Somebody's going to get killed someday. I hope everyone invests in protective netting. It took the White Sox three days to put it up. The grounds crew had it there in three days. Teams are calling them and asking, how did you do this? How'd you get this done so quickly? Rob Manfred said Major League Baseball's not going to enforce anything before the end of this season because of the cost and the manpower taken to get those nets up. The White Sox did it in three days. There is no excuse. If they want to do it, they will do it. And by the way, to your foul ball concern, these nets won't stop a pop-up from going over. They will stop line drives from drilling somebody at 100 miles an hour. You can still get your precious foul ball if it goes over the top as a pop-up. It is not worth risking a human life. If you're concerned about autographs prior to the game, there are plenty of ballparks that have doors built into the fencing. And it's 2019. We should have retractable nets by now. If we really want to put retractable nets up, we can do that. Bring them down for the start of the game. Pull them up when the game's over or prior to the game and players can give autographs. Come on. It is not worth somebody getting killed. If someone tries to tell you it's on the fan to pay attention... You tell them we're not dealing with grown men. You're dealing with three-year-old kids, like the one that was hit Sunday in Cleveland. It is not a matter of attention. There are players who cannot react to line drives. There are some players who can't react to a 90-mile-an-hour pitch, and it hits them in the head. Some of these line drives come off the bat at more than 100 miles an hour. It is not an issue of attention. This should not be something that's controversial. So I'm hoping that this is something that does, in fact, happen by next season. The majority of Major League Baseball parks will have protective netting going foul pole to foul pole. Hot take number two. The Chicago Cubs are not going to address either of their biggest need by the end of the trade deadline next week. And by their two biggest needs, one being relief pitching, especially at the back end of that bullpen, the other being middle infielders, particularly Addison Russell. Addison Russell has given us plenty of evidence besides the obvious as to why he shouldn't be anywhere near a major league ballpark. He's just not cutting it. Regardless of the atrocious stuff he's done off the field, he's not cutting it on the field. And you know what? I think the Cubs are going to stick with him. I don't see the Cubs fixing that glaring issue. Boy, how bad does it look letting Tommy LaStella go now? No one could have predicted it. He wasn't performing with Chicago, but now he's an all-star in L.A. Now, if the Cubs want to go out and they want to get a second baseman, they have the money to do so. They have one of the best payrolls in the league. But here's the kicker. If you're trying to trade for somebody at the deadline next week, what assets do you have? I tell you what, there are six teams in Major League Baseball that have just one prospect in the MLB Top 100 pipeline. Chicago Cubs are one of them. They don't have a lot of assets in the minors right now that people want. And if they want to trade somebody on the Major League Club right now, well, they're not deep at too many positions. Particularly when they also need to address a pitching need. Carl Edwards Jr. was sent down to AAA a couple of days ago. He's not cutting it right now. The Cubs are trying all kinds of options at the back end of that bullpen. They spent a bunch of money on Craig Kimbrell. Again, their payroll still is in a pretty good spot, but Kimbrell hasn't worked out well. They're trying Brandon Kinsler. They're trying to make him work a one-time All-Star. 
But that's my prediction. That's why I'm going yes with this one. The Chicago Cubs are not going to make any more significant moves before the trade deadline next week. All they've done so far was get Martin Maldonado. They sent Mike Montgomery to Kansas City. I think the Cubs are done at the trade deadline. Another hot take that I'm going to piggyback off that with. The Cubs will not win the NL Central this year. The Brewers are starting to figure things out, and the Cubs are stagnating. Cubs are way too inconsistent. I feel confident right now Milwaukee will repeat as NL Central champions. This time they won't need a Game 163. Hot take number three. The San Francisco Giants are caught in limbo, and they will be when the trade deadline hits next week. I'm going to say yes to this one. The Giants are playing really good baseball right now. In fact, they are maybe the hottest team in the MLB. They've worked their way back to one game over 500. They're 51 and 50 after just an awful start, but they're not going to contend. They're not going to catch the Dodgers, certainly, so they're hoping for a wild card spot. The thing is, overall, there are just too many teams that are better than them that are fighting for those two spots. San Fran is hot right now. But that's going to cool off. That's going to balance things out at some point. But there are way too many good teams chasing those last two wildcard spots. They're not going to make up a 15.5 game deficit against the Dodgers. So the wildcard is their only option. Right now, Washington and St. Louis have the two wildcard spots. Philadelphia and Milwaukee are both ahead of San Fran in the standings. And you know what? All four of those teams are flat out better than San Fran. San Fran may be hotter right now. They're not better than those teams in front of them. San Fran is going to fool themselves into thinking that they can contend for a playoff spot. They're not going to get it. They're going to miss out on moving Mad Bum and Will Smith, which means the Giants are going to get back much less than they could have had they dealt them by next week. All right, hey, Kyle Nystrom is ready for me. We're going to get him on here in just a few minutes. I'll give you one more, and it's kind of a two-parter. This one's tough for me. I'm not totally confident in it, but I'm going to do it. The American League playoff picture at the end of the year will look the same as if the season ended today. The Yankees has the top seed, the Astros and Twins both winning their division, Cleveland hosting Oakland in the wild card game. I'm going with it. The only reason I'm not fully confident in it, I can't count out Boston. I can't count out the defending champions. They have all the pieces that won the World Series last year. They just got to find a way to put it together. They've got the pieces. And that's what makes me think they could find their way into the postseason. They won't catch the Yankees but they could very well play in the wild card game. Boston, I do believe, has a chance of moving into playoff position, but I'm going to go with Cleveland and Oakland getting the two wild card spots. I don't think Tampa Bay is going to get in when it's all said and done. They got out to a hot start. They played above their roster, but their payroll situation is the worst in Major League Baseball. They're not going to be active at the deadline. And frankly, they just don't have a team right now that's going to contend with a team like Cleveland or like Oakland. Two teams are figuring it out here as we get to the back end of the season. They just don't have the roster for it. So I'm saying the American League teams in playoff position right now will finish there here in about 60 games. Last thing, maybe this isn't too hot of a take. If there's any team that is in the worst spot right now, any team that is in complete limbo, it is the Texas Rangers. The Rangers are seeing their playoff hopes fade fast. They've lost eight of their last ten. They are sitting 500, six and a half games out of a wildcard spot. Couple that with the fact that Texas has an absolutely awful payroll situation, among the worst of any team that's technically in contention, and they still don't seem to know what they want to do with Mike Miner. Maybe their only real bargaining chip. Texas is not going to make a playoff push. To me, they are in the worst spot of any team here at the trade deadline. A mix of not contending, not having pieces of value, and not having money. 
for me, that puts Texas in arguably the most unenviable spot in all of baseball. Let's take our last time out when we come back. Northern head football coach Kyle Nystrom joins me. We'll preview the Wildcats season next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of the show today, check it out on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play. Just look up ESPN-UP. Time to preview the upcoming Northern Michigan football season. I'm joined by head coach Kyle Nystrom, getting set to start his third year. It's hard to believe this summer went by quick. <laughs> it's going to be here before you know it. I don't know what happens. We get out of spring ball, and usually it's late April, and we take a week or two to wrap up you know, the semester with our players and spring ball, and then we hit the road doing some fundraising, golf outings, and, and spring recruiting, which is uh, is a major, major part of, of our year workload-wise. And, you know, that's when we go out to all our schools and look at all the juniors and sophomores and talk to the coaches so we can build our list of potential recruits. And then June gets here. We do a couple camps. We did four this year, and we did two at Northern. We did one in um, Lapeer down in lower Michigan, and we did one in um, Grafton over by Milwaukee. And did another golf outing, and and then all of a sudden, it's it's we're sitting here today. It's with a blink of an eye. So, yeah, I don't know what happens this summer. It just goes. Well, coach, you mentioned your spring ball. Tell me about how all that went, and how you feel you got the guys ready to head to camp. Yeah, spring ball was was very good for us. Uh, it's the best one we've had since I've been here. Um, the D line looks like a college uh, uh, defensive line. You know, um, we got John McMullen back, and we we got him playing inside. And, and we've got uh, Jake Ager in there playing, uh, and and they're going to give us a lot. They're they're good movement players. They're very disruptive, and and uh, you know John still has three years to play, and and Jake has four, and, and they're both uh, in there as a tandem. We're a lot better than we've been since I've been here. And that defensive end, we've got Eddie Pearson and Jake Dudek, um, and uh, they they played both pretty well last year for real young players and. They both got three years left, and then, you know, we got McQuan Hudson at defensive end playing in there with them, and, and Jeremy Stotts, who's going to be a senior. And so, you know, between those four defensive ends and uh, those two inside guys, and we'll find somebody to, to back those guys up. But uh, I really like the, the progress we've made at the defensive line, and you, you got to be good there in this league. You know, the, the, this league is for real. <laughs> you know, I coached in the MIAA when I was at Fort Hayes, and, and, and that's – that's the real deal there too, and, and our league is very similar. So you got to be stout, and you got to be active, and you got to have people that can be disruptive in there. And then at linebackers, you know, we have Darko back, we have Riger back. They both played as true freshmen, and Austin Potter. And then uh, we've got Alex coming back as a as a as a fifth year senior. And so we're we're better there at linebacker. The, and the secondary is better. We we've we've got our cornerback Demarius uh, Wright, who had to sit out last year. We got him back and. And then we moved Anthony Ladd over to corner at, at halftime in the Michigan Tech game from a safety. So they're, they're both our starting corner. So we're better there than we've been. And you know, and you got to be good there. You, there's no way around it. And fortunately, with having those guys in there, um, and then we've got some reserve players behind them that that are up and coming and doing things they got to do. Uh, we were able to move Trevor Roberts back to our weak safety spot, which is where he should have been all the time. But I had to play him at corner last year just because that's all we had and and he went in there and battled but he's much more suited uh skill set wise to play at that safety and and we have Brady Hansen at the other safety and then we have Troy back at strong safety so 
it's a better defense. Um, offensively, uh, the offensive line, we lost a few starters, but we're going to be fine there. We got some starters back. Uh, you know, we got Gabe and Jay, and, and they're good to go in there. We got Derek Crane moved up into guard. Uh, we got Trevor Hiller playing there, and Peyton Mojo's playing up there for us, and Peyton had a real good spring, so it's time for him to, to be a guy. And then um, RJ's back at quarterback as the starter. He had a really good spring. Um, and then we've had to go recruit some transfers to play a quarterback for us. So, we, you know, people ask, well, don't you in June get to take up? No, we were still recruiting quarterbacks, and, and we signed two. I should say we signed one and got another one to transfer in. Um, two years ago, we recruited a young man by the name of Drake Davis down in Chicago, and we really wanted him, you know, as a, as after he finished his senior year in high school. And it, but it was hard recruiting there. You know, he was getting a lot of attention, and, and we really liked him. He was high up on our board. And um, we felt like we had a, a commitment to get a visit out of him in the winter. And, you know, all of a sudden, Lovey Smith walks in <laughs> to the high school, the head coach at Illinois. And, you know, he wants Drake to walk on. So Drake went to Illinois to walk on. You know, it's just like you, you're a Notre Dame fan. Right. Let's say you were going, looking at some D2 schools, and Lou Holtz walked in and said, <laughs> hey, hey, Tanner, come come take a look at Notre Dame. You know you jump in both feet, right? So, you know, that, that went on. And then, and then Drake... You know, figured out he you know wasn't going to fit in in Illinois' plans his first semester, so he got recruited by Northern Illinois to go there at semester, and he chose to do that. Another Division One school in the Mid American, so he goes to Northern Illinois the second semester. But Rod Carey and the staff had just left and taken the Temple job right during the holidays, so he got there with a staff that didn't recruit him, mm-hmm. and so you know he he called us and and we ended up you know recruiting him in June and got him. To come to Northern, and but so now you know between Kate, our compliance coordinator, and Kirby and myself, we're fighting for his eligibility. We had to do waivers and such and such. There's a lot of work because he's considered a, a three-time, four-year transfer for for the schools, and so we're fighting through that. And and that's just another project that we have, and and um, so we're making an appeal there to to get his eligibility reinstated so he can be ready uh, if 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 you know something happens with RJ. And so we still got that we're, we're working on. And then we got a nice young man from Kansas City, um, Yale. He's coming in, and, and Yale's an interesting story. He played, he played juniors uh, in hockey. He was a hockey player and a football player coming out of Kansas City, and uh, his last name is Van Dyne. And Yale played juniors, I don't know what level, but it's, you know, it's, they fight, they go to Canada and, and the, the eastern part of the uh, U.S. and play, and he bounced around for two years and ended up, you know, then it was time for him not to play hockey anymore. So he walked on at the University of Iowa and played wide out. And then um, his brother, younger brother, was getting recruited by Iowa and Minnesota and ended up going to Minnesota. And so, you know, the staff was a little perturbed, so he ended up transferring out of, out of Iowa and going to Minnesota for two years and, and did a nice job there. He just didn't quite have the skill set to get himself where he wanted to be on the field. But, you know, you're talking about the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And so and he, so we got him to come to Northern to play quarterback for us. And so, um, you know, we're in the same part with the transfer, getting him through some hurdles there. But you're talking about an older guy, yeah, a very good student. Yeah, he's done a lot of things, and he's a lot more mature player, and he's going to be good for us. We just got to get the hiccups through with the eligibility with him, too. And then we signed a nice freshman out of Chicago, Mount Carmel, Rad Primovich. And so that room got better, but, you know, we just got three new guys in there. And so 
we had a hole in there. Uh, the two the two players that we had as freshmen last year didn't make it and are back home. So we had to go to work, you know, and that, that's kind of the the lifestyle of Division Two a little bit. And then at at, uh, at running back, you know, everybody's word, oh, Jake is gone. Jake is gone. Yeah, he is. Well, that happens. That happens at every program. Those really good ones that when they turn seniors, they they got to move on to life. So. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we played, uh, DeAndre had a good spring, and then Sebastian Tolan had a good spring. Sebastian, uh, we redshirted him last year. He's a freshman on Lumen Christie, but he shows a lot of promise, and he'll have to play for us this year. And then uh, and then Nate will do some playing for us, one of our freshmen out of Chicago. So, you know, the running back, even though Jake's gone, we still have good running backs. It's okay. <laughs> and so we've got a, a good future there. And uh, at tight end, we're still, you know, We've got Brunius back, and he still has three years and, and had a good spring. And Mitch and and Danny from Escanaba. We just got to get Danny back to heal up a little bit and get him ready to go again. He he didn't participate this spring. And then uh, we got Cam Cam back. Um, he had shoulder surgery. He's a true freshman out of Lumen Christie, but he's rehabbed really good now, and uh, he looks good. A lot of these guys are back on campus right now and watching film, and that's a good thing to see. And uh, lifting and doing things they have to do. And so the tight ends, you know, we've got numbers there. We just got to progress. And then at, at receiver, you know, we've got Ryan back and Rayvon and Benny and 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 those guys had a good spring. And then we got some up and comers coming in. Um, you know, uh, Isaiah had a good spring, and some of the younger guys are coming along. But we're going to probably have to use a couple of new guys in there that uh, we signed. And um, and so we go. You know, our, our 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 kicking game is Daniel's back, our, our kicker, and he's got three years left. He plays two freshmen, and and John is back for his senior year. So our team is better, and so it, I'm excited about getting him back to campus and getting uh, you know getting camp going. We're gonna go in the submarine and shut the hatch and get to work and get ready for McKendry. And um, we've got work to do, and and that's a good thing. But we've got better players to do it with, so we're excited. Talking with Kyle Nystrom, head football coach at Northern Michigan. Coach, I want to ask you a little more about Drake Davis, your quarterback that Lovey Smith originally recruited coming in. Tell me what kind of a quarterback he is, what kind of style he brings to the table, and with his eligibility up in the air, is there any uncertainty, any doubt as to uh, quarterback battle brewing for you in camp? And if so, how do you handle that? Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll go in. Um, maybe we'll know his status at that point. Maybe we won't. But you, you get 45 days from, from when – you know, practice starts for those things to work themselves out. And if we need it, that's what we'll go through. But, you know, we'll get all of them ready to play, you know. And, you know, RJ is our number one guy. But, yeah, Drake is uh, – he, he in high school he was more of a, uh, a one-back spread dual-threat quarterback. Uh, and uh, he's a guy, when you look at quarterbacks, is he real big? No, he's a little bit over six foot, 185, 190 pounds. He's big enough. Does he have the strongest arm? No, he doesn't have a big cannon, but he can make all the throws. And he can run and do all those things and get out of trouble. What, what you watch him do out of high school is sometimes a quarterback, the good ones, they're just really good at being a quarterback. And that's not something that you can really teach and coach. They either have it or they don't. And he's got that. And so, you know, that's just looking at him from what we knew about him when we recruited him. When he gets here, we'll figure out more. But we're, we'll approach it as to, you know, we'll get him ready and, 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 and R.J. is going to have some competition, and that's good. That's better for everybody. You put R.J. and, and, and Drake and Yale and Rat in there, and you go to work, and you go to work, and you, you, at in the beginning of camp, 
you you got to approach it like you're getting all four of them ready to play because you just don't know until it starts to sort itself out. But, um, you know, right now RJ's our number one guy until somebody makes that difference. So that's – but we'll get them all ready to go. We'll get them all ready to go, and, and we'll go from there. Well, Coach, you talk about having a better team. You mentioned defense is going to be better this year. Last season, you cut down yards per game by 121. Tell me what's the next step for your defense. Well, you know, we got better against the run. And, um, you know, I was talking with Al and our SID over there, and, you know, we gave up a little more passing yards. But that's because when you can't stop the run, people just keep running the ball. You know, there's there's less to lose. Less things can go wrong, right, than when you got the ball in the air all day. So, you know, we're going to have to play better pass defense. You know, we um, we gave up some big plays. And, and to be real honest with you, you got to go back to the basics and say, you got to teach the fundamentals, okay, and you got to stop the run, and you got to you know limit as best you can explosive plays, and you got to play good pass defense, and you gotta you gotta pressure the quarterback, and you gotta make him uncomfortable, and so you gotta go back to the basics and work work on all the dynamics of what really builds a good football player, and you start from there and, and then progress. But we're gonna have to play, you know, again we're gonna have to be really good against the run, and I know we improve, but we gotta get better. We gotta get better. And, you know, with the, with the front seven, you know, we will be better. And then, and then you, can't, you can't give up the explosive play. You know, they want to sit there and throw quick hitches and for four and five yards and break up and make tackles. You know, I can live with that because that's a, that's a long progress down the field. And something, you know, you can make plays on that at some point. It's just um, we got to eliminate the, the explosive plays. When we cut somebody loose and give up a, you know, a, a 60, 70, 80-yard play in the air, and and we should be able to do that with Demarius and, and um, Anthony. And then, you know, we have Nick Barnes coming back off the knee. And um, and so some of those things will work out. But um, we're better at corner. I know that. Well, Coach, your coaching staff is going to look a little bit different this year. Added a couple of new guys. Tell me about them. Yeah, it is. The defense stays intact. Kirby and Buddy and Bobby and myself. And then um, on offense, we have a new, uh, a new coordinator, Dan Fedrosi. And, you know, people always think, well, coach, when you hire coaches, I, I just don't hire people that I, you know, just on a whim, just look at a resume and say this is what I want. I, I look at it and I, and, I, and I look for people that are in my network. And, and Dan was at North Dakota State right after I was done there. And so he, he's in the network of my NDSU crew, and it, we had great success there. And in Dan's first year at NDSU, they had a hard season. I think they went two and nine, and then they built it back up through the, the two years he was there and, and got back in the playoffs. So he, he went through, you know, where they had to grow teeth and cut them again, so as to say, and um, with the people that I had a lot of background with working. So I had a lot of faith in that, and um, he's coming from a good program. Uh, I knew Dan a little bit from being – he was at Saginaw Valley for quite some time. He played for Randy Alry, who's a good friend of ours. He's a northern legend and, and played for my dad. He's a Muskegon Catholic grad, and uh, that's a good football school. And um, uh, real comfortable with him and, and glad he's coming with us. And he's been a great help. And, you know, as far as position breakdowns, he's coaching the running backs and the tight ends. And then we moved J.T. Jerson over to quarterbacks, which is where he played from wide receivers. And we moved Scott McDougall over to the receivers. Scott had been working with me on defense. And then we hired uh, Pat Perlis as our offensive line coach and run game coordinator. 
And so, and Pat and I grew up together, and uh, we went to Michigan State together. We coached at North Dakota State together. And, you know, Pat's been on a lot of big programs. Most recently, he was at the University of Kansas. And he had coached for the Chiefs with Todd Haley and, and, and scouted for the uh, Buccaneers. And, and um, you know, he's been in a lot of big football programs. So for us to get him, I feel very fortunate because he's, he's the closest thing you're going to get to Buck when Buck was in his prime. So he's, he's sort of a protege and he's an excellent coach. So we're going to get a lot of help there. Talking with Kyle Nystrom, head football coach in Northern Michigan. Well, Coach, tell me about the GLIAC. Certainly it's going to be tough as ever. You've got a couple of playoff teams from last year, including the defending national runner-ups. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's always tough. Um, and I think this year is obviously going to be the same, if, if not a little bit more. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Ferris is going to be Ferris. Uh, they got a lot of them back. I think the whole defense is back, and they have the Harlan Hill winner back. And, um, you know, that guy's a really special player. I think you could put him at, at punter and kicker, and he'd still make league MVP. <laughs> okay. He can, do, he can just do so many things. And, um, and, they, and they've got their the running backs back and their offensive line, and, and their receivers are all back. They, they lost one guy, but they've got so much there. And, I, and like I said, I think their whole defense is back. So, you know, they're, 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 they're running pretty hard right now, and they're running pretty hot. So, um, They'll be, it'll be fun to play them, and then you know, Ashland's a great football team. Um, I, I thought for the last two years, you look at them from a football coach's perspective, and not just from a fan or who they beat and what this and what that is. I, I've always thought they're probably the best football team in our league. Um, they just get nicked up a little bit and haven't been able to get by Ferris a little bit last year um, in a real tight game. And the same thing when they were at Grand Valley. Um, and that was a field goal at the end of, for Grand Valley to win. And, you know, Ashland had a touchdown call back on a penalty, and they were down there and made a turnover. They're, they're legit. They're really, really good. Um, they're an interesting program. Um, you know, they're, I think when I was talking to their offense corner last year, he told me, I was talking to them before the game, and they got good coaches, they're good people, that um, – all their people on their, all their players on their team are within 58 miles of campus, mm. and but it's Ohio, and so you you know how good their their, their programs are for football in there, and you know they got a great staff. Uh, Lee Owens was the head coach at Akron when I was an assistant at Western. Back then the shoe was on the other foot. We were really really good, and we kind of had their number, and, uh, and he's got Tim Rose as a DC there, and and his offense coordinators uh, Akron disciple with them, so they know what they're doing, and they got really good players, so. I, you expect them to be very strong again, and Grand Valley is going to be very good again. Um, they just have to replace the quarterback, and they're, they, they've got plenty of players, you know. So it's kind of like those guys are out there, and then there's the rest of us, and let's fight and let's go play. And let if you if you get if you can get on a roll and get some consistency and get the ball rolling. You know, you might just play good enough to trip up on them dudes, and that's why you play them. You know, paper, everything, everybody's got these teams on paper. Well, it's just on paper, and that's why you still got to go play Saturday. A couple of tune-ups, non-conference games with McKendry at home and then UT Permian Basin down there. A couple of teams you had really good games with last year. Yeah, I don't, I don't consider McKendry and them a, a tune-up. McKendry beat us last year. I'm still a little chapped about it. I, I want to be ready for that game. That's going to be a, a go-time green light game. And really, that's all we talk about right now. Everybody wants to talk about other things. What do you think of the league? 
what do you think of playing Michigan Tech? This, that, and the other. I'm just all about playing McKendry. Okay? And because they all count one. And uh, I'm not happy with the way that game went last year. They're coming up here. And so it's our job as, as coaches and, and my job with the coaches to make sure that we are ready for that game, you know, physically and mentally and emotionally. And so that's where we're at right now as we get ready. Um, UTPB, uh, we got to go out there. That'll be a hard trip, and they're going to be a lot better. It's Texas. It's Texas. And, you know, what they were last year might drastically change because they may be playing in the, in the game of transfers like some of the other schools do. And, you know, that you get enough transfers and do enough things, well, your team looks a lot different from last year to this year. And so uh, we'll find out. And then, um, and then we have Davenport here at, at, at Northern for our home opener. So, you know, first things first, though. You know what I mean, Tanner? You, we're going to get ready for camp and have a good camp. And, you know, you want to be physical. You want to get the hitting in. You want to get the execution in. But if you just lay there and pound all of it, you're not going to have a healthy team. So you got to walk that fence about what's enough hitting so that we're healthy and that we have the best team on the field come McHenry game that we have on our, on our roster and get them all out there and be ready to play. Season opener coming up September 7th with McKendry. Talking once again with Kyle Nystrom, head football coach in Northern. Really appreciate you taking the time, Kyle. All the best this season. I'm sure we'll be talking again throughout. Love it. Love being here. Go Cats. Thanks, Tanner. That's it for us here in the Sports Pen. Back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central, and ESPN-UP.